David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. With the exception of John 3.16, which I think you can still see from time to time at baseball games, the verse that I see referred to most often is probably Philippians 4.13. And outside of stadiums, I think that Philippians 4.13 is actually the winner. Mugs, framed art, bookmarks, tattoos... Basically everything in a Lifeway Christian bookstore or Tonini church supply. Everyone gravitates towards St. Paul's words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I did see one clergy friend of mine, someone who refers to himself as a theological grump, post a picture of himself with a coffee mug that said, I can do all things through one verse taken out of context. (laughs) And I think of that one verse taken out of context. Whenever I think about the David and Goliath story, I think about how easily that story appears to be the narrative version of Philippians 4.13. We can do all things, including defeat the Goliaths in our lives through Christ who strengthens us. And then I think about how that interpretation completely misses what's going on in the story. For instance, when Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book subtitled Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants, it made all the sense in the world that it was called David and Goliath. Because this is how we think of David and Goliath. In mismatched contests, there is a David and there is a Goliath. And with God's help, or with Malcolm Gladwell's strategy, the David can win. By the way, do you notice how we're always the David? Gladwell didn't subtitle his book, The Art of Battling Diminutive Shepherds. It's never consider the Davids in your life and take care that they don't smite you which wouldn't sound nearly as good in a youth group graduation sermon as the traditional interpretation sounds. Well, the key problem with the traditional interpretation that you're David and you can use God's strength to defeat your Goliaths, the problem is that in real life, in the real world, Goliath wins a lot. Things don't work out the way we hope. Jobs are lost. Beloved family members suffer. We find ourselves still trapped in that intolerable place, whatever it is, despite all of our efforts to escape. When we're the underdogs in business or at home or in life, 
it happens that we often lose. Now, does that make Philippians 4.13 a lie? Does it mean that we can't do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Well, in order to answer that question and in order to see what the story of David and Goliath is really about, let's do what my friend's coffee mug suggested. Let's get a little more context. Let's look a little more at what the Bible has to say about insurmountable struggles. And I want to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in which Paul is writing about what he would be willing to brag about. And he says something fascinating, that he'd more readily brag about his weaknesses than about his strengths. And then as an illustration, he shares something personal. To keep me from becoming conceited, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul prays and prays for his thorn, his struggle, to be taken away from him. We might even say that he begs God to help him defeat this Goliath in his life. But God's answer is no. God tells Paul that this Goliath will stay to teach Paul something about God's provision for him. Through this situation in which Paul is shown to be weak, God is shown to be strong. So which is it? Can Paul do all things through Christ who strengthens him? Or is God going to leave him in hardship to show that his power is made perfect in weakness? Well, of course, the answer is both. And our non-David and Goliath reading, the story of Jesus stilling the storm in Mark chapter 4, perfectly explains how this works. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. That's how our new revised standard version begins the story. I'm going to finish it by reading Sally Lloyd-Jones's moving version from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This particular telling of this particular story was one of my favorites to read to my own children when they were very small. So it, it holds a very special place in my heart. Here's how Sally Lloyd-Jones finishes the story of Jesus stilling the storm. In the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. 
Now, Jesus's friends had been fishermen all their lives, but in all their years fishing on this lake, they had never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how hard they struggled with their ropes and sails, they couldn't control their boat. This storm was too big for them. But the storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help, they screamed. Wake up, quick, Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us, save us, they shrieked. Don't you care? Of course Jesus cared. And this was the very reason he had come, to rescue them and to save them. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus's voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that had made them at the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped. The water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. Why were you scared? He asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet. As quiet as the wind and the waves. And into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this? They asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him, they said, because they didn't understand. They didn't yet realize that Jesus was the son of God. Jesus' friends had been so afraid they had only seen the big waves. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of no matter how small their boat or how big their storm. This is good news. If Jesus is with you, you have nothing to fear, no matter how big your storm, no matter how overwhelming your Goliath, no matter how firmly set your thorn. And this is what I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me really means. In Philippians 4.12, the verse that immediately precedes that claim, Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It's only then that he says he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Do you hear what he's saying? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means I can survive any storm because Christ wins the battle for me. I have 
a champion, someone who fights in my place. I'm huddled in the stern while Jesus commands the wind and the waves. You see, Paul is not actually talking about his own accomplishments. He's talking about Christ's. Christ fights for him. And then Paul can enjoy the result of Jesus's victory, no matter what. Jesus battles the storm and wins. And the disciples who a moment ago were cowering in the boat now bask and rest in the result of Jesus's victory. And the exact same thing happens when David slays Goliath. The profundity of the David and Goliath story isn't in the matchup of a David versus a Goliath, an underdog versus a huge favorite. What happens on that battlefield doesn't actually fit into Malcolm Gladwell's book. It cannot teach us how to fight giants. Instead, it points us to the gospel, drawing our eyes directly to the good news about Jesus Christ and no other. What David and Goliath engage in here is what's called champion warfare, which is a historical form of battle that goes just like it does in the David and Goliath story. Two armies face off. But then rather than one enormous horde fighting the other enormous horde until one side is overwhelmingly slaughtered and surrenders, each side selects a champion. And then the champions do battle on behalf of their respective armies. And now the part that's meaningful for us, why it's good news. The champion's victory is credited to his army without them ever having to join the fight. This is the profound image of the duel between David and Goliath. David acts on behalf of his passive and terrified countrymen, winning a battle for them. And that's the secret to understanding the David and Goliath story. You're not David. You are the cowering Israelite army. Jesus is David. Or more properly, David's victory on behalf of the overmatched Israelites points directly to Christ's victory for you. You're not David. Using the power of God to slay the Goliaths in your life. You are the frightened Israelites who get to enjoy David's victory. David fights on behalf of his passive people. So does Jesus. You're the disciples cowering in the boat. Jesus fights on their behalf too. Both stories Jesus stilling the storm and David's defeat of Goliath are illustrations of what Jesus will do on the cross, giving freely of his goodness to sinners who do nothing to deserve it. He wins and you 
get the victory. So, if the battle isn't really between you and the Goliaths in your life, what is it? Who's actually fighting here? What is this war really about? Well, it turns out that if we think of the battle as us against the struggles in our lives, we are thinking on a scale that is far too small. This is a war for nothing less than your eternal soul. In our Good Friday liturgy that we observe every year, the service's final prayer depicts the real struggle. Listen to how we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls. This prayer reveals the true battlefield and gives the proper context to the David and Goliath story. David, Standing between Goliath and his countrymen is a symbol for Christ's passion, cross, and death. Standing between God's judgment and your soul. And it only takes one stone for him to win that battle. One word to hush the storm. One death to save the world, Jesus, on the cross for you. The battle for your life is not between you and your Goliaths. It's between your soul and God's judgment. Between the you God has called you to be and the sinner that you actually are. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve judgment. But God has set his son's passion, cross, and death between his judgment and our souls. Between his judgment and your soul. Just as David stood between the Israelites and Goliath, Jesus stands for you. Just as he stood between that storm and his disciples, Jesus stands for you. He stilled the storm with one word and has killed the Philistine with one stone. And Jesus Christ in your place hung on the cross and proclaimed his victory with one shout. It is finished. And in him. For free, without you having to do anything at all but receive it and then bask in the victory, that triumph is given to you. Because Jesus won the battle, it is finished, and you are saved. Amen.